Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the box office mojo top 100 yet again in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? In the last episode of the Box Office Mojo Top 100, we ended at number 81 up. Uh, unfortunately, since that time, we have a new addition onto the top 100 that is a little further up the rankings, and up is now 82nd, so rather than start at number 80, we will be starting at number 81 tonight, uh, today, rather, <clears throat> and uh, there will be 11 films covered in this episode, and uh, like I said, uh, this is a film that I've seen. It is one that came out very recently. If you're clever, you might be able to uh, uh, decipher what film that is on your own. But nevertheless, let's jump in to uh, our first film here. So the new number 81 is a film that came out in 2003. It is directed by Lily and Lana Wachowski. Uh, who I believe went by different names at that time, but this is they are the Wachowski sisters now. And this is a film that stars Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, Lawrence Fishburne, Hugo Weaving, and a host of others. And that, of course, is The Matrix Reloaded. That is the second film in the Matrix trilogy. And uh, one that was kind of a disappointment for many, many hardcore fans of the first film. I think that the first Matrix is great. And, you know, I saw these movies many, many years after they first came out. And, you know, I, I, I don't have as, as many reservations about Reloaded and Revolutions as I think a lot of people do. But I do recognize that they are not as good as the original film. For sure, definitely. And so, you know, it was really the popularity and uh, sort of quote unquote revolution of the original film that led to The Matrix Reloaded being such a huge hit that it was. You know, it made more money. It's made more money than, you know, all of these Twilight films that we talked about before, than Captain America, The Winter Soldier, than Gravity, than Up. Uh, you know, even going all the way back, you know, made more money than Doctor Strange, than Interstellar, than The Sixth Sense, than Forrest Gump. Uh, and uh, that's that's pretty impressive. You know, The Matrix Reloaded isn't really a blockbuster, I don't think. You know, it, it's a very action-based movie. But, you know, I don't think at that time I would have, you know, maybe maybe... You know, I guess probably at that time I, I would have uh, pegged it as something that was going to make a ton of money based on the popularity of the original film, but it's it's kind of it's kind of staggering when you think about it now that 
You know, we have all these films opening up to 100, 150, 200 million dollar weekends. And yet The Matrix Reloaded is still one of the top 100 grossing films of all time in the world. And and let's not forget that, you know, like this isn't based purely on domestic box office. This is a worldwide grossing statistic. So uh, I'm sure that uh, The Matrix did pretty well overseas, I'd expect. You know, it's kind of, it's a film that sort of transcends uh, the country that it was made in because it doesn't really care. You know, it takes place in a completely fictional time and space that has no quibbles about, you know, what country it's in. And uh, I'm sure that that only did wonders for the film's box office draw. Uh, I've seen the film six times. The last time was seven years ago, so it's been quite a while. And I currently have it rated at a 78, so that's pretty high. That's actually really high for this movie. I enjoy it quite a bit. You know, it's really interesting and and fun to actually see Neo with all the powers that he has. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I mean, it probably needs to be revisited again and finely tuned for its rating, I, I, I'd imagine. But it's a film that, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't, continue the same sort of deep themes that the first film had unfortunately at least not to the same extent and it focuses a lot on on these dreams of trinity's death which i get i mean i guess like i see what they're trying to do there but i think it's very strange and 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 a lot of time gets put into that and i don't think it pays off at all I wish that there was a bigger I wish there was I guess what I guess what I really wanted out of this movie was a bigger focus on Neo and Agent Smith. And if we're going to keep Agent Smith in this series, I needed to know why and I need to have a better understanding of his machinations and motivations. And I don't think the film really does that well enough. Instead, it uh, implements uh, the Keymaker, which I think is a big reason why a lot of people don't like The Matrix Reloaded as much. And I think there were those guys on that, there was that like, there's that like fight on the bus, on the, on the buses or cars or whatever with the like tentacle hair guys. They're not tentacle hair. They're just like the long haired people, like uh, albino guys which is a great action scene, but like really odd in the context of the film and all these, all these different things that like the matrix reloaded gets shit on for. And I think it's pretty good, but again, you know, I haven't seen it in seven years and you know, a lot has changed since then. So matrix reloaded the new number 81, number 80, another, uh, well, I guess it's not really a sequel. It's more of a prequel, isn't it? Um, This is a 2013 film directed by Dan Scanlon uh, with the tagline, School Never Looked This Scary. Uh, This is a film, an animated film starring the voice talents of Billy Crystal, John Goodman, Steve Buscemi, Helen Mirren, uh, Dave Foley, Charlie Day, Alfred Molina, Nathan Fillion, Aubrey Plaza, 
Julia Sweeney, Bonnie Hunt, John Krasinski, Frank Oz, John Ratzenberger, Bill Hader, among others. And that is the uh, prequel to Monsters, Inc., Monsters University. Monsters University did did really well at the box office, I guess. Uh, And it's fine in, in terms of Pixar films. There are some nice moments, and the film really, at, at points, it I think it does a good job of depicting a scare school kind of thing, and I, I like that. Um, particularly the sort of origin of why Randall's eyes in the original film are squinty. I, I loved that real, uh, realization. But... Uh, you know, it, it doesn't really hold up as well as the original film does. It's not as inventive. It plays for a lot of the same jokes that we've seen in other animated films. Um, you know, out-of-touch parents. And, you know, they're all just kids. And they have the same voice actors who are now 12 years older. So it's that's also kind of strange. It's it's good, you know. I I still gave it a pretty solid rating. Um, I gave it three and a half stars, or uh, approximately a seventy-three. So you know, I think it's pretty good, but that's not very good when compared to the majority of Pixar's uh, films. It, you know, there's there's really no invention. I think in Monsters University that. Monsters Inc. had that films like Finding Nemo and Toy Story and uh, so many other great Pixar films have had Up, Wall-E, and, and so on. And so it's kind of a shame that Monsters University was so rudimentary and pedestrian by comparison. And I'm sure you know there's definitely more Pixar films upcoming. I wish this one had not done so well, uh, personally. I feel like all of these Pixar sequels, Cars 2, Monsters University, Finding Nemo, or Finding Dory, they're doing well, and they shouldn't because they're not as good as their predecessor, and they are not up to the standards that Pixar has set for themselves. And outside of the Toy Story sequels, we haven't seen a worthy sequel, in my opinion, yet. Um, A lot of people are kind of starting to think that Cars 3 might have something more to it. Uh, I'm one of those people. You know, I've seen the trailer. It looks a little grittier than 1 and 2. So, you know, again, it's Pixar. So they have the the capacity to pull, pull off anything, I think. But Monster University, for me, was not ideal. And, you know... Very good Pixar is fine for me. That's all. It's just fine. So it's number 80, Monsters University. Number 79 is a live-action film from 2005. uh, Directed by Andrew Adamson. And starring William Mosley, Anna Popplewell, Skander Keynes, Georgie Henley, Liam Neeson... Tilda Swinton, James McAvoy, Jim Broadbent, and others. Uh, there's a 
probably a reason you don't recognize those first four names as they are relative unknowns who play the siblings Lucy, Edmund, Susan, and Peter in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. I know for sure that I was very excited for this movie to come out. I loved all of the Chronicles of Narnia when I was a kid, and it just... It's just a magical world, and I think the stories are really interesting and well-written and do a lot of cool things. And so when I went and saw the movie, actually, I probably didn't go to see it. I probably saw it at home for the first time. It was, it's, it for me, it had that magic. It was still bringing apart, you know, it, it was representing all the things that I expected it to uh, in in the movie from the book that I'd read. And, you know, you've got Liam Neeson for the voice of Aslan, which I think is perfect. Tilda Swinton is one of the most magnificent creatures to have ever lived, in my opinion. And she plays a phenomenal white witch. And I think all the kids are okay. You know, I didn't, I wasn't super upset by any of them. I I think, uh, what is it? Anna Popowell, who plays Susan Lucy. Yeah, Anna Popowell, I think, was my favorite of the kids. She's the older of the sisters. And, yeah, I think it's a pretty fair adaptation of the movie, or of the book. It doesn't really stray very far, and it really does, you know, I don't know, just, it's it gave me the same impressions of this world of the Chronicles of the Narnia world that I got from the books. And it's a shame that they haven't made all of the books, uh, in my opinion. You know, we have three Chronicles of Narnia movies. And, uh, you know, I think this is the best one of the three. And I rated it quite high. Uh, It has four stars for me. Um... Let's see Prince Caspian. So I've seen it twice, and I gave it an 81. So it's a low four stars, but it's still a four stars for me. I it just got that same sort of vibe that I get from, you know, it's not as as potent a a world building film as say Lord of the Rings or uh, the better of the Harry Potter movies, for example. But you know, it it. In and of itself, I remember the trailer being like very immersive, and the effects were really good, given that it was 2005. I'm pretty surprised that it did so well as the first film uh, of the Chronicles of Narnia that came out. Uh, but unfortunately, it did not receive the praise that um, it needed to really... Uh, I guess, kick the rest of the series into high gear. I don't think that Prince Caspian or any of the other Narnia films ever show up, or The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I don't think any of them else, any of the other ones, like, show up uh, in in this top 100. So, you know, I guess the desire just wasn't there, unfortunately, which is a shame, I think. Just, uh, it's a shame. So that's number 79, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Number 78 is a 2016 film 
that got a lot of hate when it came out last year. Uh, directed by David Ayer. Uh, this is a film that stars Will Smith, Jared Leto, Margot Robbie, Joel Kinnaman, Viola Davis, Jai Courtney, Jay Hernandez, Adewale Akinui Agubaje, Tara Delevingne, Ike Barinholtz, Scott Eastwood, Common, Karen Fukuhara, David Harbauer, among others. And that is the worst heroes ever, Suicide Squad. From DC Comics comes the Suicide Squad, an anti-hero team of incarcerated supervillains who act as deniable assets for the United States government, undertaking high-risk black ops missions in exchange for commuted prison sentences. This is the Oscar-nominated, Academy Award-winning Suicide Squad. One for makeup, which I'm okay with. I, I don't have a horse in that race. And this thing exploded, uh, had a huge opening weekend, and then kind of did this the Batman v Superman thing where it just crashed and burned after that, but it made so much money early on that it's on the list. It's number 78. <sighs> you know, I I enjoyed it for what it was. It's, you know... The first 45 minutes are like just back-to-back-to-back to back to back, um, music videos, and then it becomes sort of a rudimentary action film with kooky characters that don't get enough storyline, uh, a very standard villain, and twists for no reason other than to be twists, and character inclusions that really shouldn't be there. We didn't need the Joker to be in this movie. I don't mind the Batman in this movie as he was only in like a flashback for Harley Quinn. And the filming style, you know, I don't mind David Ayer. I think he's a good director. And I, I understand that there was a lot of studio involvement apparently. And, and you know, they gave the people who cut the trailer, the... the uh, the keys to the film essentially and and just let them edit the film so the amount of input that david Ayer had in the final product i don't know but even still there's a scene it's in the trailer where uh deadshot will smith is like standing on top of a car firing a gun at presumably bad guys deadshot's power is that he can like shoot the wings off a fly from hundreds of thousands of feet away or whatever you know he doesn't miss which is cool and be nice to see him in action doesn't really do anything for us though if we're watching him while he's shooting things like i don't understand like it makes no sense you know you've got a dead shot guy and Rather than show him, like, pinpoint headshotting all these people, or, like, you know, how cool would it be? You set up the scene, you've got Will Smith on top of a car, you got the bad guys around a corner, come out of somewhere, whatever. You know, we know that they're, we've, we get an establishing shot that shows how far away they are. And then he starts picking them off, we zoom in on the bad guys, close-ups, and you just see bullets entering eyes, entering orifices, entering this, that, and the other thing. 
you know, and like, you know, maybe one guy's got a mole on his face or a bruise or like some distinguishing mark and the bullet just pierces that exact point. Like, how cool would that be? Instead, the camera just kind of pans around Will Smith as he fires his gun at who the fuck knows what, you know? And that's kind of a great representation for this film. It has a great idea at the center of it and squanders it at as many turns as possible. The best parts about this movie, Will Smith, I think is a good dead shot. Margot Robbie is a great Harley Quinn. Uh, and, and, you know, most of the characters are, are fine outside of them. You know, Jay Hernandez, Cara Delevingne, Jai Courtney, uh, Viola Davis, Joel Kinnaman, they're, uh, take them or leave them, I don't care. They're okay, they look the part, I suppose, but for the, but they don't, I don't know if it's the material or the editing or the direction or the notes that they were given or what it was, but somewhere along the line, it just doesn't click. You know, and you look at the Marvel properties, 9 out of 10, nine, like 19 out of 20, 49 out of 50 times, the casting is on point and the performances reflect that. You know, you can even look at, like, even if you just look at the Iron Man films by themselves, Sam Rockwell is fantastic in them. Uh, Jeff Bridges is fantastic. Uh, you know, you got... Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is fantastic. John Favreau is fantastic. And these are all like side characters. The Suicide Squad, these are the main characters, and they're like, eh, okay, I guess. And, you know, that's a problem. And, you know, I'm certainly not the person to ask for how to fix the movie completely, but. There are a lot of people out there that, you know, have a lot of better ideas than what we actually got. And so, I do want to rewatch this movie. You know, I was kind of riding the wave of it when it first came out. And I don't think I was as disappointed as it, I should have been, if that makes sense. You know, I gave it three stars. Uh, I think I gave it like a 69 and I think that's way too high, but I'm not sure how low to drop it, and I so I have to watch it again to, to figure that out. So that's Suicide Squad, number 78. Moving on, number 77 <clears throat> is an animated film released in 2012, directed by Eric Darnell, Tom McGrath, and Conrad Vernon. So three directors for this movie. And that is uh, the uh, Madagascar Three, Europe's Most Wanted. So the Madagascar films, I think, are a good comparison. Have a, make a good comparison to the Ice Age movies. So Ice Age movies, the first Ice Age I thought was pretty good, and I think subsequent Ice Age films have gotten progressively worse. And I haven't even seen the most recent Ice Age. On the other hand, I think the Madagascar film started out okay and got progressively better. Uh, including Penguins of Madagascar. And I don't know if it's just these voice actors coming into their own with these characters. 
or if it's something to do with uh, just I don't know. I think the, I think the films get wackier and wackier, but somehow they manage to contain what's going on into a cohesive narratives. I mean, they're not like you know plot. They're not without their plot holes, but. You know, they're films that I can follow. They're films that are entertaining. And I think they just get more and more entertaining as they kind of push the limits further and further with each one. Uh, so starring the voice talents of Ben Stiller, Sasha Baron Cohen, David Schwimmer, Francis McDormand, Chris Rock, Jada Pinkett Smith, John DiMaggio, Cedric the Entertainer, Jessica Chastain, Brian Cranston, Martin Short and Paz Vega, uh, Madagascar 3... You know, these four guys, these four guys, so the hippo, zebra lion and giraffe still trying to get back to new york and their zoo um and then with the thinnest of plot threads they are they refuse to go back because they don't have the four penguins with them and in this movie they are eventually joined by the penguins and the lemurs from the first madagascar movie and some monkeys and they're stuck in Europe, and they're being chased by animal control, and everything's going crazy, and nothing makes any sense. And so, it's just, I don't know, there's just so much going on in this movie. Like, they're in a circus, I think, at one point, and there's, there's like, there's a thing from uh, Chris Rock's character, the zebra, uh, Melman, Alex, Marty, Marty, Chris Rock, please, Marty the Zebra, and uh, it's like there's a tune that he like hums or whatever that like I I get stuck in my head all the time. I won't uh, I won't risk burdening you with it because it is very I don't know. It depends who you it depends who you are, but I I find it equal amounts funny and annoying. So won't risk it uh so madagascar three uh so this is a film i gave a 74 um and like i said i think that the madagascar films get progressively better and that puts it as the best madagascar film not including penguins of madagascar which I don't think is going to be on this list. Um, just a second. There we go. Which I gave a 75. So, you know, not a huge increase, not a, a big one. But I, I do think that they, they they know what they've got. I don't know if they're going to make more Madagascar films. Uh, but, I mean, I'll watch them. I enjoy them. I'll watch them. I'll keep it going. So that's number 77, Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. Number 76, we go back to the comic books. Not the DC or Marvel Cinematic Universes, however. This is a 2014 film directed by Brian Singer. That is X-Men Days of Future Past. Starring, ready for this? Hugh Jackman, James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, Halle Berry, Anna Paquin, Ellen Page, Peter Dinklage, Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, Nicholas Holt, Kelsey Grammer, Sean Ashmore, Omar Sy, Evan Peters... Famke Jensen, James Marsden, Lucas Till, uh, Michael Lerner, 
Uh, a lot of names I don't recognize. I feel like there are more, though. Hmm, maybe that's it. I mean, yeah, that's it. That's like 20 people who are very recognizable in this movies. Combining the new series of X-Men films started with First Class and the old original trilogy of X-Men films that were directed by Brian Singer. We have Days of Future Past, which is uh, described as the ultimate X-Men ensemble fights a war for the survival of the species across two time periods as they join forces with their younger selves in an epic battle that must change the past to save the future. I mean, that's exactly what it is. There's a ton of shit going on in this movie. It goes every direction, all at once. And there's very little restriction as far as that's concerned. And this is kind of an attempt to combine those two storylines because they're not necessarily combined prior to this movie which is a huge, huge tall tale to ask for. And I think that Days of Future Past does it as best as any film possibly could, given the uh, circumstances. So much so uh, that I gave it a three and a half. I gave it a 70 days. I want to say six. Let me see, though. Seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. I give it a seventy-eight. Um, it's pretty good. It's very, very good. But it's not my favorite X-Men film. Uh, I think that First Class is still better because First Class actually has a cohesive and coherent narrative that it follows. It tells a good story that doesn't leave you confused and wondering what's going on. I remember... I had a ton of questions after Days of Future Past about particularly Wolverine's uh, timeline, given that there were two additional Wolverine films going on in the background of all the X-Men movies. But there's just just so much to juggle. It's inevitable that parts of them are not going to be able to withstand the uh, scrutiny. And I think that's the biggest problem for this movie. Uh, unlike First Class and, and 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 Logan, which came out last uh, this year, they you know Days of Future Past had far too many characters it was trying to control, and it didn't know what to do with them all. It you know so many characters got waylaid to the sidelines, and you know whether or not they needed to be on the forefront of the film, it it just. We had learned so much about all of them that it's difficult to, you know, do we have to sit back and let Mystique and Wolverine and Magneto and and Professor X run the show again and 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 again. You know, how how often are we going to do this? You know, can we branch out and discover new characters? Or give other characters the time to shine, you know? And it's tough to do that in, a, in, these, in the X-Men move franchise, in the X-Men world, because those characters are so incredibly powerful. Professor X and Magneto alone, you know, are 
as powerful as the rest of the team combined, at least. You know, and Mystique's powers give her and you know a way into you know most situations that many of them don't have and wolverine has just been around for hundreds of years and this that and the other thing so i understand why these are the characters at the forefront of all these movies it's just a shame that more characters don't get their time to shine and i think that they try to address this in days of future past but it's just it just ends up feeling like I don't know, like a, like a slideshow of, okay, well, here we're going to show you um, Evan Peters for like five minutes do his thing, and then we're going to show you Ellen Page for five minutes do her thing, and then, you know, so forth and so forth. So I like this movie a lot, but not my favorite X-Men movie, and very, very muddled uh, at the end of the day. So that's X-Men, Days of Future Past, number 76. Number 75, another, uh, man, another sequel. All of these are sequels, it feels like. Uh, This is from 2010, directed by Mike Mitchell, starring the voice talents, yes, it's animated, the voice talents of Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, Antonio Banderas, Julie Andrews, John Hamm, John Cleese, Craig Robinson, Jane Lynch, Lake Bell, Kathy Griffin, Kristen Shaw, Ryan Seacrest, Regis Philbin, among others. <laughs> this is uh, Shrek Forever After. The fourth Shrek film, and I just heard that they're in productions on a fifth Shrek film. I don't know what the fuck that's going to be about. Uh, but this is the Shrek that may where uh, Shrek makes a pact with uh, Rumpelstiltskin, who is voiced by uh, Walt Dorn, so just a, a voice actor guy, but ends up uh, actually being sent to a twisted version of Far, Far Away, where Rumpelstiltskin is king, Ogres are hunted, and he and Fiona have never met. And I think she's like a permanent ogre at this point, and there's like a ton of ogres, and so he has to go like save the world. No, the city, whatever. Uh, Pretty bad. And, you know, Shrek's 1 and 2 I think are great, and I think Shrek 3 is fine. Shrek 4 forever after is like eh, not so good you know i ended up giving it a actually hold on let me rephrase that i think shrek's one and two are great like i said i think shrek three is bad i think shrek four ever after is okay uh so it's not good but i think it does a little bit more toward uh pushing the series back into its uh, satire roots that it came from and you know Shrek the third is very very much silliness instead uh, but it's just I don't know it's just it's just a franchise movie that they made to make money and it had made a lot of money and I don't like that <laughs> I don't like that at all 
And so Shrek Forever After, I give it a 53. So pretty low, not not a good movie. And I mean, I'm gonna see the fifth one if when it comes out, but I'm not terribly looking forward to it. So that's Shrek Forever After, 75. Number 74, we saw The Hunger Games before, and this is one of these Hunger Games sequels. Uh, and that is the 2014 film directed by Francis Lawrence, Mockingjay Part 1. Uh, starring Jennifer Lawrence, Josh Hutcherson, Liam Hemsworth, Woody Harrelson, Donald Sutherland, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Julianne Moore, Willow Shields, Sam Claflin, Elizabeth Banks, Mahershala Ali, Jenna Malone, Jeffrey Wright, Stanley Tucci, Natalie Dormer, Evan Ross, Eldon Henson, Robert Knepper, and uh, others. This is the first half of the Mockingjay book, the third book in the Hunger Games trilogy, and in my opinion, the weakest uh, film in the Hunger Games series. Is that true? I know, I mean, I know I didn't like Mockingjay parts one or two nearly as much as I liked uh, Catching Fire and the original film. But maybe it isn't uh, part two. Yes, yes. Part one is the weakest film, in my opinion, simply because it's the first half of a full story. And there's no climactic ending. It doesn't give you give us like a ton to uh, latch onto at the end. It's just very boring. And it introduces a lot of characters that ultimately don't mean anything, in my opinion. It doesn't give us enough action. It doesn't give us enough excitement. We don't know what's going on. And I feel like the transition between Catching Fire and Mockingjay Part 1 is horrendous and very inorganic. I don't know if that same terrible transition exists in the books. Obviously, the books are written from Katniss's perspective and not from third person. So it's a very different sort of environment and angle that we're looking at things but for me i had a lot of trouble with mockingjay part one and it really put me off for mockingjay part two as well i was i lost a lot of interest for the final installment i gave mockingjay part one a 66 so while it is quite boring and underwhelming it still has all of these characters that we've grown to enjoy and like and 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 root for and it furthers the story in enough enough of a of a capacity that it's not bad and it's it's somewhat good uh and the actors are all great so you know you're adding julianne moore you're adding natalie dormer uh you're adding philip seymour hoffman these are all great actors that have a huge pedigree behind them uh and while what they're doing isn't stellar, it is at least furthering the story to a point where Mockingjay Part 2 can swoop in and, and sort of round everything off, which is, I assume, what they intended to do based on the model put forth by the Harry Potter books and movies. Unfortunately, I don't think it played out quite so well. And uh, that's a shame because the first two films are, are great, in my opinion. I, I, it's a shame. I wish they had done a lot better. 
work with uh, Mockingjay. So that's number 74, The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1. Number 73 is uh, not a sequel, uh, but we saw the sequel to it earlier on this list. This is the 2012 film directed by Mark Webb, starring Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Rissa Fons, Dennis Leary, Martin Sheen, Sally Field, Irfan Khan, Campbell Scott, and others, and that is The Amazing Spider-Man. So we already talked about The Amazing Spider-Man 2, big letdown from this movie. Not that this movie is amazing, but it's very good. And it does a good job of introducing us to a new Spider-Man, played by Andrew Garfield, who is a good Spider-Man, better than Tobey Maguire. It introduces us us to Emma Stone uh, as Mary Jane, uh, who I think was a great Mary Jane. I thought they really cast her quite well. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Kirsten Dunst played Mary Jane. This is Gwen Stacy. Uh, same thing. I think I think Emma Stone played a great Gwen Stacy. Uh, they cast her really well. And there's only like one villain in this movie, and that's Rissifons as like the lizard thing. And uh, it's good because there's only one villain, and we don't need more than one villain unless the second villain isn't actually a villain and it's more like character drama. Uh, you know, we need an external and an internal conflict, not five external conflicts. Spider-Man 2, or Amazing Spider-Man 2. And... Yeah, I don't know. There's not too much else to say. It's, uh... So, I guess I'll... Let me see. Spider-Man... The Amazing Spider-Man got a... So I gave The Amazing Spider-Man a 76. And that puts it at the second best Spider-Man movie I've seen. So I think the best Spider-Man movie is uh, Spider-Man 2, Tobey Maguire. I think this is better than the original Spider-Man film. Uh, But not by too much. You know, they both... Both this and Spider-Man are rated three and a half stars, somewhere in the 70s. And, you know, I just, it's a shame, you know, if Andrew Garfield at the time, you know, this is five years ago now, is not, doesn't have the sort of, didn't have the dramatic chops and internal conflict chops to play Peter Parker's side of this character at the time, uh, I think he would now, but he's a little old now. He was probably too old then. So, Amazing Spider-Man, number 73. Good movie, uh, but had its flaws. Number 72. Movie I wish wasn't on this list. I mean, I wish a lot of these weren't on this list, to be honest, but... We have to talk about it anyway. This is a movie that came out in 2006, directed by Ron Howard, starring Tom Hanks, Audrey Tautau. Ooh, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Tautau? Tautau? Uh, Ian McKellen, Paul Bettany, Jean Renault, Alfred Molina, and others. And that is The Da Vinci Code, with the quote, with, with the tagline, Seek the Truth. Um... 
I don't want to talk about this very much. I gave it a one star. I think this might be the, or no, I think this is the only thing that I've rated lower than this so far on this list is New Moon from the Twilight series. I gave the Da Vinci Code a 21. It's pretty awful. You know, Tom Hanks couldn't save this if he gave us an Oscar performance. Um, it's like, I don't know, it's like a, it's supposed to be like an adult's version, a more adult version, for, in my opinion, of National Treasure, starring Nicolas Cage. And it ends up being hokey and stupid. And the reason why I think National Treasure was successful is because it knew what kind of movie it was. This has no idea what kind of movie it was. It is. It you know it's inputting it's putting all of these sort of crazy conspiracy theory elements into the world that we live in, and uh, showing us that a cryptographer can be a superhero essentially. But it doesn't have fun with that. It doesn't you know give us a light mood at all. Everything is dark. Everything is dour. This isn't Batman. Like, I don't... He's not Batman. He's just a guy. Uh, and it's Tom Hanks. Like, he's not an action star. And yet, like, everything is, like, fast-paced. Has to be done immediately. I, I Even, like, in Inferno, I think he, he was, like, doing stunts and shit like that. Like, I don't get it. Uh, I think Ron Howard completely misses the mark with these movies. So, The Da Vinci Code... Number 72, no thank you. And finally today, today's episode, uh, number 71 is a 2014 film directed by Robert Stromberg, starring Angelina Jolie, Elle Fanning, Charlotte Copley, Sam Riley, Juno Temple, Imelda Staunton, and others. And that is the classic character of Maleficent, uh, based on the iconic villain from the 1959 Disney classic Sleeping Beauty. Um, this tells the story of a beautiful, pure-hearted young woman. Maleficent has an idyllic life growing up in a peaceable forest kingdom, until one day when an invading army threatens the harmony of the land. Maleficent rises to be the land's fiercest protector, but she ultimately suffers a ruthless betrayal, an act that begins to turn her heart to stone. Bent on revenge, Maleficent faces an epic battle with the invading king's successor and, as a result, places a curse upon his newborn infant, Aurora. As the child grows, Maleficent realizes that Aurora holds the key to peace in the kingdom and to Maleficent's true happiness as well. So, um, yeah, this one got a lot of flack. I think it's, eh, I think it's kind of bad, but it's not awful. It has a 3.0 average on Letterboxd, and uh, I gave it uh, two stars. So it's bad, but it's not awful. Um, I gave it a 45. It has like a 48 on Rotten Tomatoes. Angelina Jolie is like a perfect casting decision for Maleficent, in my opinion. But uh, the film just, I don't know, it just doesn't really come together in any real way. And I think that sucks. 
Um, you know, I, I, I like the idea of showing things from the villain's point of view. You know, the Wicked was so popular when it came out on Broadway. You know, and this is a very potentially interesting story. You know, you have Maleficent. She is a very tortured character. This could have been a good story about uh, her sort of perspective on motherhood and the way that she cares for not only the forest as you know in the early parts of the movie but later on aurora in her own sort of twisted way and the movie tries to get there and it just doesn't uh it just doesn't it's a very bland movie that has poor writing and uh, a lot of cgi that really didn't work out too well also Charlotte Copley uh is not so good in this you know I, I love Charlotte Copley he's been I think he's fantastic in District 9 I think he's really good in Hardcore Henry this was not the movie for him I think his accent was like pretty shitty if I remember correctly but uh it has been a few years uh yeah I don't know, it It did really well, and, you know, it's a Disney movie, so I expect it to generally do pretty well, but it was kind of a struggle as a, as a film, to, to for me anyway, and apparently for quite some number of people. So that's Maleficent, number 71, uh, and that'll be the last film we touch on today. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Uh, tune back in uh, later on, and we will continue our march towards the highest grossing film of all time. And uh, that's it. So if you have any comments, concerns, questions, or answers, please feel free to direct those to circleoffilm at gmail.com. Always happy to receive any sort of email from anybody. Or if you are interested in the Circle of Film Awards or the Scavenger Hunt Superlatives or previous episodes or anything else about me or the spreadsheet, you can head over to circleoffilm.com where that should answer most of, if not all of, your questions. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same tonight. I know she'll never even as she fades from view